planting like this, we'll think we're in one of those independent fundamental Baptist churches. Whew. I'm already worn out. <laughs> Just sitting there singing. All right, so if you haven't already, turn your Bibles. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, and we'll be in verses 17 through 20 this morning. And so, uh, I'm contemplating on what to try to leave in, leave out. This is very, this is a very heavy scripture, and uh, it's hot, <laughs> and I don't want to have y'all here uh, late. Also, uh, uh, I do want to thank y'all for being a church that allows me to be able to get away. To, to, to do these conferences uh, it was a small conference it was a, I don't know if y'all ever heard of Stephen Olford but it was done by the Stephen Olford uh, uh, Stephen Olford Institute for uh, exegetical preaching I think is the full title of the thing wonderful time um, with some wonderful men and got an opportunity to hone some of my skills I don't know if y'all will see them this week because the conference was so go, 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 go. I weren't able to put in my normal uh, sermon prep, but uh, uh, still a very enjoyable, edifying, wonderful time, and I want to thank y'all for that. Part of that is they talked about naming your sermons, right? And I've, I've not ever been big on naming sermons. I understand why, but it's just not something that I've ever uh, felt the need to do a whole lot. The title of my sermons for... Uh, simplicity's sake was the title of whatever scripture I was preaching, and that way I could find it really easy, right? You know, so I just whatever scripture I want to preach on, if I've already preached on, I can find it via the text. Well, uh, they brought a good reason up, so I've got a title for this sermon: "You Can't Get Blood from a Turnip." Now, I don't know if y'all have ever heard that before. That's typically said when you've got debt collectors knocking at the door and you're telling them, look, I have no money to give you. If I did, I'd pay, but I have no money to give you. You also kind of get that in, uh, thing when your kid's at the store and they're begging for something and you're saying, we don't have money to buy. I, look, I'd love to buy you that. I'd love to buy you that candy bar or drink, but we ain't got the extra finances to do that right now. You can't get blood from a turnip. As we, <laughs> as we proceed... I hope that you'll see the, 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 uh, the application to this analogy, to this title. But we're talking about how Christ fulfilled the scriptures, which allows us to what? To know the Father. It's because of Christ's fulfillment of the scripture that we can be reconciled with the Father. Hence, the title, you can't get blood from a turnip. Why? Because you cannot get righteousness from a lost person. You can't do it. It ain't there. It ain't there to give. You can't get it from them. And so, if you want righteousness, you have to get it from, first of all and foremost, from the source, God, Christ. And then second of all, the church, 
who, within their works within the world, illustrate God's righteousness, right? God has given us his righteousness to, to put out into the world. So, verse 17 says this, Do not assume that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. I did not come to destroy, do not assume that I came to destroy the law and the prophets. If somebody says, don't assume that I'm doing this, there's a, usually because somebody has assumed that that's exactly what's happening, right? And what we know in Jesus' ministry, I'm going to try to keep some of the, the uh, references down a little bit. But what we know from Jesus' ministry is that he went around and he broke the Jewish traditions. But he never broke the law of God. And so the, the example that's forefront in my mind is when his, they're walking beside this field. They grab some wheat. They're doing this in their hand. And, 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 the, and the, they, they ask him, why, why, do you, why do you allow this to happen on the Sabbath? Or, why don't you wash your hands? It wasn't that the disciples were being dirty and, you know, they're just coming in with nasty hands. But there was a certain way to wash your hands. And they didn't do it in that way. They were just like, all right, you know. And, and why, don't your, why don't your disciples fast? What are they going to fast for? I'm with them. An awesome statement if you think about it. And so we see that Jesus broke tradition but never broke the law. In fact, he tells us that he did not come to destroy the law or the prophets. That being said, I did not come to make the Old Testament. When you hear law and prophets in New Testament, he's, they're referring to the Old Testament. I did not come to abolish, destroy, to get rid of the Old Testament. That's not what I'm here to do. But to fulfill the Old Testament. So Christ does not just wipe his hand and say, okay, we're starting new. How many of y'all have heard this before? Like, like, like you have the Old Testament, but then the New Testament is a complete reset and go. That's not the truth. It's not the truth. And, and, and depending on how far you want to carry that, it, it's heresy. So, I, I remember hearing, uh, y'all may have heard this guy. He's from Charlotte, North Carolina. He's one of the biggest pastors in the nation, if not the world, uh, Stephen Furtick. And he had a sermon, and it made the internet, where he said, He's excited, son, and he's up there, he's spitting, and he's hollering, and he says, God broke the law. And as soon as it came out of my mouth, I said, what? What, what kind of dummy from the pulpit says that God broke the law? He clearly says in this passage right here that we're reading that he fulfilled the law. But the world, Christians, would want you to think that God broke the law. They want to say the goal, the God of the Old Testament is this evil, bad, horrible guy who supported slavery and genocide, but Jesus is love. That's not the truth. 
The Jesus that is love, that part's true, is the same God who spoke the universe into creation. It's the same God who met with uh, uh, Meshach, uh, uh, huh? Shadrach and Abednego in the furnace. He's the same God who met with, with uh, Abraham right before he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Jesus didn't just come on the scene and said, I'm a new person now. I'm sorry for the Old Testament stuff. That's not what he did. And it, and it, it burns me up. Maybe, maybe too much, maybe to the point where I go from righteous anger to unrighteous anger a little bit. But, but let's be honest, it should fire something up in here. Not because they're challenging what you believe, but because they're challenging who your God is. Right? They're saying that your God is an evil, maniacal individual. And it wasn't until the New Testament that God changed. What do we know about God? He doesn't change. He says, so, so now that we've covered the fact that Christ did not come to destroy the Old Testament, he says, I did come to fulfill the Old Testament. And how does God fulfill the Old Testament? I'll, I'll name a couple of things. Yeah, uh, this is not exhaustive, but these are the, the highlights, so to speak. Christ fulfilled prophecy. Christ fulfilled prophecy. The prophets prophesied about the Messiah. Why did they prophesy about the Messiah? Because the Old Testament is a group of people who God pulled together. We're talking about Israel. He pulled them together. He created them out of a single man who did not even have a child. And he, and he told Abraham uh, at that time, Abram. He tells Abram, who will be known as Abraham, what? That you will have so many descendants that they will be innumerable. In other words, they will be more than the stars in the sky and more than the sands on the beach. Who's been to the beach recently? And we're just talking about... <laughs> we're just talking about right there on the on North Carolina's coast. North Carolina has two coasts. You got the Outer Banks and the Inner Banks. We got an awesome state. And you're going to have that many descendants. And he's having trouble getting one. That's prophecy. There's a there's a, a, a thing where God is talking to Adam and Eve and he, he's, he's giving Adam and Eve the, the consequences of their sin from eating the fruit and he's explaining it to them. But he says, but one day a man born of woman will smash the head of the serpent. Who's that about? Jesus. We can go on and on, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Daniel. We, we see prophecies of, of, of Jesus throughout the scripture. The Old Testament scripture. 
And that occurred when Jesus took on flesh. That occurred when Jesus came down as a baby for our sake. For the glory of the Father. So he fulfilled the prophecy. He also fulfilled the law. How does he fulfill the law? He fulfilled the law because he kept the law. Now, let me ask you a question. You can raise your hand. I learned that this is an okay, uh, uh, this, is a, this is good to, to interact in this way with your congregation this weekend. So uh, uh, I feel safe about asking you questions. Raise your hand if you've ever fulfilled the law of the Old Testament. Yeah, me either. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but one man named Jesus. He lived a life dedicated to the Father. Listen, people will, will negotiate themselves out of sin, right? Well, I stole, but I really didn't steal because, you know... I leave pennies in the thing all the time, and it's really not stealing. Or they, they have plenty of them, so why, why? They're not using them. Why, why couldn't I get one or two? You know, and we, we justify our sin in that way. But one way that we honestly cannot justify our sin is here. When you take the Ten Commandments, which is the law, it's a part of the law. That, that gets expanded into, what, Deuteronomy and Leviticus and, and that area. But when you boil it down, we get the two commandments, the ones that Christ said are the most important, the one that boils down all the other ten commandments into these two, and that is love your God with everything. I don't know anybody who would even be bold enough to say I have loved God with every ounce of who I am since the womb. And if you do, you can point to him, James, where he says, if, I have, if you say that I have not sinned, sin you are a liar and uh, point out that lying's a sin therefore and loving your neighbor do you love everyone we don't keep the law you can't keep the law here's something you may not know the law was never given to us so that we could keep it. It's not like God gave us the law and then said, keep this law, right, perfect. Keep this perfect law. And then just sat there and snickered and laughed and watched us fail. The law is intended to show us where we are lacking in our relationship with God. The law's there to show us where we are lacking. And so if you are keeping the law, it means that you are, it's a barometer or, or a thermometer or some other ometer, right? Or meter, we can, a meter or an ometer that tells you how your relationship with your Lord and Savior is going, right? You can't keep them. You can't. And the Jews wound up knowing that they could not keep the law. They figured that out. That's why they said, okay, 
Okay. We're not to work on the Sabbath. But what if I need to get a fig from there to there? And somebody said, as long as it's no heavier than a fig, you can tote it on the Sabbath from here to here. But you got to re remember, you can't walk so far either. To this very day, an Orthodox Jew will put a bottle of water under a seat so that he's traveling over water. They, 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 you can't press a button on an elevator. This is If you go to Israel today, I've never been, but I've heard this from several people. If you go and get on the elevator on the Sabbath, which would be Saturday for them, and, and they see you, a Gentile, hop on the elevator, they've got an elevator that just goes up, stop, up, stop, up, stop, down, stop, down. It just hits every floor, right? So that they don't have to press buttons. But if you jump on the elevator with the buttons... They will jump on that elevator with you, and they will tell you which floor they're on. Why? Because man knows that he cannot keep the law, but if I can do this, there's the line, my toes are open, and I'm over, I will do it every single time. You can't spit. On soft dirt, if you're a Jew, on the Sabbath. Why? Because you'll move the dirt, and that's too much like tilling. God gave law for freedom so that men can say, this is my walk with the Lord. This is my, my walk with God, with Yahweh. And men, knowing that they were not able to keep the law perfectly, decided that they would then take the word of God, manipulate it so that it made them look good. I don't know if y'all have ever seen that done in modern times or not. But God fulfilled the law because he lived every ounce of it. He is the one who loved the Father with everything. And he loved his neighbor perfectly. Nobody else has ever been able to say that except for him. So he fulfilled the law. The other thing is he fulfilled the sacrifice. He fulfilled the sacrifice. Jews would take their animals, doves, goats, sheep, lambs, bulls. They took their animals and they sacrificed them. They took their best or should have taken their best. They didn't always do that, but if it was done properly, they would take their best animals and sacrifice them. In other words, we're giving our best to God. And they would sacrifice them. And that blood would cover their sin. But they were still waiting for a Messiah. And that Messiah came. And he was sacrificed like a lamb. And his blood was spilt. And when his blood was spilt, it cleansed. It did not just cover. It cleansed. Take a moment to, to soak that in. Adam and Eve were covered. Were they not? Do you remember the story? They sewed fig leaves around themselves. And God sacrificed the first animal in Genesis. And took the hide of the animal. The hide to hide Adam and Eve. 
covered. But Christ's blood cleansed. I've, I, have, I, have, I have often asked, how do people of the Old Testament get to heaven? Through Jesus' blood on the cross. They were looking for Christ just as we look back to Christ. Their faith was in the Messiah just as ours was in Jesus or is in Jesus. Old Testament saints got to heaven the same way we did by the blood that was sacrificed by Christ. Ain't that good? That God did not reset. That God did not like lose control of everything and said, let me do it again. God didn't go, let's do it this way, and then when everything gets out of control, let me try something new, something different. No, he had a plan from the get-go. And that was to sacrifice himself as Christ on the cross. Knowing that once we had sinned, there would be no salvation outside of God himself. The old... Uh, I'm going to go back to, to what I've said earlier too. It's all of the Old Testament. It's all of the Old Testament. Do not think that because the Old Testament is called old, that it is not sufficient or, 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 or uh, inspired. It is, it is the Word of God. It is the Word of God. Some people don't like it because it ain't got red letters in the Old Testament. Those people are kind of not thinking clearly. You, it is the word of God. Andy Stanley tells us to unhitch from the Old Testament because it, it's a distraction to those who don't know God. It is how we know what God has done for us. You can't understand the New Testament properly without understanding the Old Testament. Read your Old Testament. One of the things that I've been convicted about and not sure how to implement it quite yet, but to, to be more intentional on trying to, to preach the, 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 the full counsel of the Word of God, right? And in doing so, I need to find more Old Testament things to preach on. And so I haven't figured out how to implement that yet, but y'all be praying about that. Because we do not want to forsake the Old Testament either. Verse 18. For I arose. Oh, no. For I assure you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of the letter will pass from the law until all things are accomplished this kind of goes right along with what I was talking about the Old Testament is perfect Jesus says that I, not, nothing will go away from the Old Testament is until everything is accomplished until everything is accomplished nothing leaves the Old Testament I'm not, I'm not changing it I'm not it's perfect the 
perfect word of God. It says, until heaven and earth pass away. Until time ceases. In other words, God has accomplished what he's, what he's going to accomplish here on earth. He, 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 hits the, he hits the end button. We're done. We're, you, how many of us have heard, time is circular? No, it's linear. There is a clear beginning and end. There's a clear beginning and end to, to time. And so God says, none of this will pass away until heaven and earth have passed away. Not the smallest, not the tiniest. We would say not the first period or comma. Not the smallest word, not and, to, maybe. Not the punctuation will ever pass away. It's, it's perfect. And it doesn't pass away until God says we're done. Now, why would it even pass away then? Let me ask you. Why would the, why would the Old and New Testament or the, the Word of God ever pass away? Because we don't need it anymore. Because we'll, His people will all be in heaven. And the Word of God will just be a part of us. We'll know it. We'll be able to reference, we'll be able to reference this and so much more. Why? Because we'll be in the presence of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We'll be in the presence of God. I won't have trouble remembering names, right? Or, or pronouncing names. I won't have trouble reading if there will even be need for reading. I might just be able to quote it because I won't need to have to look down to remind myself of what something says. Boy, that'll be a glorious day for me, won't it? Not having to read. That day, that day, then, we won't need this because it'll be a part of us. It won't be an external thing that we had to have. It'll be an internal thing that just dwells within us. Side note. Hold on for a second with this one. The Word of God is perfect. Inerrant, sufficient, the authority, incomparable, priceless, <coughs> permanent, irreplaceable, and I'm going to ignore that one because I can't figure it out. So, the Word of God is not something that we can just say oh yeah, yeah it contains truth Little House on the Prairie contains truth 
The Bible is truth. You understand what I'm saying? There are things in this world that do contain truth. And we do not treat Little House on the Prairie or Harry Potter or, 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 or uh, any other. But what are y'all reading recently? Y'all even read? No? All right. That explains some things. Books contain truth. The Word of God is truth. It is an error. It's not wrong. I love it when people say, it's, it's just been handed down. It's just been handed down. Translated after translated after translated after translated. I'm going, you really don't have a clue what you're talking about. If any of you were here when we had the, uh, the, uh, the thing talking about uh, the Word of God and how we ha have it and everything. Thousands of transcripts. Thousands. Not too far from the autograph, the original. It isn't like somebody copied something and then copied into Latin and then that got copied into the King James and then that got copied into this. And by now, it's, it's not like this chain of copies in that way. When they wrote the New American Standard, which I read out of on Sundays, they said, let's go back to the text, to what we have, all these uh, uh, original are not original, but the uh, manuscripts in which they have, which are thousands of years old, which are uh, uh, some of them really old, uh, like the Dead Sea Scrolls. And so we need to remember that that this is this here. Like I could take this Bible, I wouldn't do this because I'm not, you know. But I could take this book and burn it. Like, like for its, the ink itself is not is not what's important, right? You could take this and print it out on your paper. Your Bible would be this thick, but you could take this and print it at home, right? It's the it's the word. It's the word. And the reason I bring this up is because if one day we go through persecution, somebody can go into your house and remove all your text. Somebody may go into your house and remove all your text. And if that day comes, what I want you to know is that this needs to be something that you have in your head. Now, if we, the, the hard copies that we have so that we can do like this and I can read it and I know that of a, of a paragraph easier than I could ever remember a single sentence. the word it's don't neglect this right now we have two dozen at my former that I've inherited that I've bought 
I love the books. I, 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 love, I love looking at the way they're laid out. I love, I love the leather on the outside. I love, I love a lot about reading them. I, you, you have such a high regard for them that you do find putting value on that. There are a lot of people who have Bibles like I do. Who have never sat down and remembering the scripture. If you remember James and he remembers James and, and, and we did something like that, we'd have the Bible. We'd have the Bible. God's protected his word. For 2,000 years, I'm sure he'll protect it for another 30, right? I don't want to, that, that wasn't to be vulgar and just say, you know, that this, is, that this is useless. I'm saying that, I want you to understand that it's the words here that have the value, not the paper. It, it's the words that we need to take. It's the words in which... Back in these days, these people who were dealing with the scripture at this time were not simply had scrolls with them everywhere so that they could pull them out and reference them. And no. If you were a young Jewish man, you were memorized the, the, the Torah. Well, the first five books. You were memorized it. You were able to quote it. That's why I think it's silly whenever they say, well, these fishermen were illiterates. They were, they were good Jewish men. I'm sure they were able to do something. It, 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 it's the word itself. Do not, and this is, I know this is a sidetrack, but I, I, I'm trying to, to just beg and plead with you to not forsake the reading and the memorization of God's word. Hold it near and dear to your heart. And this isn't to scare you, but it is, it is a reasonable possibility that somebody may not want you to have it in the future. That you may have to put it in a safe and bury it underground for a while. They can take it right off of your computers right now if they wanted to. They could just take them right off. Like that. So put the word of God to memorization. Learn it. Thrive in it. Thrive in the word of God. Don't just read it and go, okay, well, I read it today. Check. It's like the, we were talking about, um, I moved my ladder this morning, but do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? You hunger and thirst for the, the word of God. All right, I'll move on. Verse 19. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the, uh, of the least of these commands and teaches people to do, to do so well, be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. 
James says that not everybody ought to teach. And this is why. I know, I know men who teach, and they're probably Christian. Don't get me wrong. They're probably Christian. But they teach that we ought to be essentially Jewish. Well, Paul, I mean, that's one of the first things that Paul's arguing against, the Judaizers. But they would have you to where we didn't eat, you know, you, you, know, you weren't able to wear mixed fibers, you wouldn't be able to eat um, uh, pig. In Duplin County, eating hogs is a big deal, son. But they would say no, no to that. Even though there's New Testament scripture about like you've got the, the unclean animals coming down on the sheet in the vision for Peter. You have uh, the church. The church, this is what I don't understand about some. The church is literally having services on Sundays in the synagogues. And there's a variety of reasons for that. One being Jesus arose from the grave on a Sunday. The other one being that who was in the synagogue on Saturdays? The Jews. So they were able to get the building on Sundays, the day after. There's a variety of reasons for that, but we see it in the New Testament. On the other hand, you have people who say, and we've already talked about these people, the Old Testament does not apply. When Jesus came, he just, he just wiped everything out. And so unless it's New Testament, I had a, I had a buddy of mine just the other day who was asking me about um, the way Scripture sees finances. And he says, I think, I think, the, new, uh, he said, I, I think the Bible hates rich people. I said, oh, Lord, what are you, what are you reading, right? That, that's my first thing. What are you reading? He says, well, I was looking at James, and you, we preach through James, where James talks about don't be showing partiality to the rich. Aren't they the ones who are taking you to court and suing you? And, and so he's taking that, and he, he's, he's looking at it. And I'm going, okay, but don't we see in Scripture where people are blessed by finances? It says that the, uh, my, my example was uh, uh, Job. And I said, Job? When he went through his whole ordeal, he was, he, 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 he was closer to God than he ever was. And it says that God blessed him with even more and caused it a blessing. He said, yeah, but that's Old Testament. I've not had an opportunity to share with him yet. Because I'm trying to build a, a solid case and not just, you know, fire at him with a bunch of stuff. It's the same God, the same writer, the same author. We don't say, yeah, but that's the Old Testament. You have people who fall into that ditch to where the Old Testament doesn't apply. And then you have those who want to bring us back to Judaism. We don't see that. We don't see that in the Word of God. We see in the Word of God where Christ fulfilled the Old Testament. Which means there are some things we don't have to worry about because those things have been fulfilled.
but there are other things which have also been fulfilled, but are just good principles for us not to ignore, right? And that have been reestablished, not reestablished, but re-emphasized in the New Testament. And the people, the, the, the Christians who teach that we need to go back to doing a Passover meal, Who, who very well could, could have a relationship with Christ and be Christian. I'm not saying they're not. Some of them wouldn't be. Some of them would be, I think. But that Christian there has to answer to God for what he's teaching wrongly. And the guy who's over here saying that the Old Testament doesn't apply will have to answer to God for what he's teaching wrongly. And if I ever stand in this pulpit and I teach anything to you wrongly, if I'm talking to you on the street and I teach anything to you wrongly, I do not just get to walk away from that. I am responsible to God himself. The importance of the word of God should be recognized by us. That we do not just get to say, well, whatever. And we do not get to say, I like this better, or I like that better. We have to come here time and time out, because it says, it says that those who, who, who uh, let me read it. Whoever breaks one of these, least of these commandments, and teaches people to do so, will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Now, that leads to another question. I'll tell you what I believe, and then I'll tell you what the, the counterpoint is. I believe that he, we are talking about the church. I believe we, we're talking about the church. We're talking about Christians who are just really bad off in theology, and they've taught others that same bad theology. Or, yeah, yeah. And, but they have trusted God. They love God, but they have, they have really messed up in, in, in teaching. And it says that they are the least in the kingdom of heaven. I think that we are held responsible for what we say to others about the word of God. Now, does that, some of you may say, well, that's why I don't say anything. Well, don't be that way either because the scripture tells us to say something. So if you're saying that you're better off not to say something than to say something wrong, you put yourself in a weird bind there. Preach the word of God. If you don't know or you think it's something different or, you know, say you don't know. Say you don't know and come back and hit on what you do know. We see that we have to teach. We also have to do what we teach. The other option is he's talking about the Pharisees. I, I don't agree with this. I don't think, unless you're a Pharisee who, who converted to Christ, um, I don't, you know, I don't know. I, I just don't see how this works. I don't see how it works. Um... And, and verse 20 is partly why I say that. 
verse 20 says this. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, at this time, if you're just a normal person and you see the scribes and Pharisees, they are, they are to the Catholic, kind of like the popes and, 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 and uh, what do you call them, cardinals and that kind of thing. And then you find out that somebody says, hold up, if you're going to get into heaven, you need to be holier, more righteous. Your righteousness needs to surpass these people. You're thinking, oh man, that ain't ever going to happen. And you're right. On your ability and good works, that'll never happen. Because you can't get blood from a turnip. You can't get righteousness from something unrighteous. Christ is teaching us that if you want to sing, see the kingdom of heaven, you must, you must operate off of his righteousness. The scribes and Pharisees did all the, the wonderful things. They wore the robes. They wore the hats. You know, they, 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 they made sure you knew that they were paying their money. In fact, um, how much, how, how much truth there is to this or not, I don't know, but I've always heard this. That they would just, they would get their coins in the smallest denomination possible and just be like, ting, 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 just so that people would see how much money they're giving. You know, they made it as big of a show as possible. In my mind, it's somebody in the pew, you know, with a $100 bill going, you know, <laughs> then throwing it in the offering plate. And while nobody's looking, you know, getting $75 and change. <laughs> we have to have a higher righteousness than people who have dedicated their entire lives to righteousness. How do you do that? You don't. You don't. You turn to Christ. You turn to Christ. Ultimately, ultimately, Christ fulfilled, I'm going to wrap this up, Christ has fulfilled all of the prophecies, all of the obligations, all of the things that were needed for somebody to make it to heaven. Because he was the only one who could. Because he was the only one who could. And then he says, not only did he, does he do this, he then reaches out to us. Remember, we're the beggars with our hands out. And he reaches out and he puts an abundant amount of righteousness into our hands. He gives us his own righteousness. Remember, th th this sermon, even though we've broken it up over months, this sermon is one sermon from God. This sermon is one sermon from Jesus Christ. And so when we're, we talk about the, the being meek and the, the merciful and the uh, uh, poor in spirit and the, the, the other ones, they apply to what he's saying here. 
they apply to what he's saying here. That he says, blessed are these eight things. Then he gives, these people are blessed, this is why. And every one of them went back to what? Being saved, being Christ. Now he's bringing it back. And he's saying, remember what we talked about? Here, if you want to get into heaven, you have to be more righteous than the Pharisees. Now next week, we'll, we'll get into specifics where he starts talking about uh, uh, what you have to do type of a thing. There again, but it'll all come back fuller alert, right? It'll all come back to making Christ your, your Savior. It'll all come back to giving yourself to Jesus. It'll all come back to that because we cannot, and I'm going to say it again because I think it's kind of funny, we cannot get blood from a turnip. I don't care how, how big you are as a turnip, how, how pretty your, your greens are as a turnip, I don't care how red you are as a turnip, you'd be the prettiest, reddest, turnips are red, right? Or am I thinking of beets? I'm thinking of beets. Anyways. You'd be the, the biggest, prettiest vegetable in the garden. Y'all be praying for our garden. <laughs> You'd be the biggest, prettiest vegetable in the garden. It's not good enough. It's not good enough. Christ and Him crucified and Him resurrected and Him ascended. That is the hope that which we have. The blood of Christ, not turnips, pay for sin. So if you want to have more righteousness than a Pharisee, than a scribe, than the Pope, which is on the same level as the scribe and Pharisee. If you want to have more righteousness than the biggest, prettiest turnip in the garden, you have to turn to Christ. And understand that those who are poor in spirit are the ones who come to that. Those who understand that they aren't righteous. Those who come to the acknowledgement that I, I am sinful. And I'm selfish. And I'm hateful. And I'm mean. Bradshaw over here nodding his head pretty good. Looking like he sure is. Those who acknowledge that and say, I have nothing good to give. I only have to take, and I can only get it from Christ. Those are the ones who will inherit the kingdom. Those are the ones who get in. Christ's teaching here is not to be better. It's not to to, to, to be, you know, 
do all the things, to, to say all the right things, to do all the right things. That's not the message. The message is to lean on Christ and him crucified. To lean on, to have faith in the Messiah. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us, Lord. We thank you for your death on the cross. We thank you for you fulfilling the Old Testament, allowing us to be able to look back at your uh, death and resurrection, to be able to look back at your ascension. Lord, I thank you for loving us the way you have. I thank you for making us more righteous than the scribes and Pharisees, not because of the works that we've done, but because of what you've done. Lord, I thank you for loving us and bringing us together as a congregation. Lord, I pray for revival. I pray to get this AC fixed. Lord, I pray that, that, that as we move forward as a congregation, that we will be more dependent on you. That through you that we won't have anxiety. Through you that we won't deal with the same sins that we've dealt with over and over and over again. Through you, Lord, that we realize that our joy and our happiness Lord, that the weak find their power in you. Lord, that we submit our entire beings to you. That we are meek, that we are in absolute control. You're in absolute control of us. Lord, I pray for revival for our church and that it would spread, that thousands would become saved because of the work that you are doing with this small congregation. Lord, I love you and thank you for your love, mercy, and grace. Amen.